Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And this morning, we were talking about freedom of speech, and I went through a uh, my own personal, I guess, diatribe on the freedom of speech and uh, what that actually means and what it should mean to Christians, because freedom of speech is a part of the Kingdom of God. We can say all kinds of things because God is the ultimate arbitrator of the truth. I have an opinion, you have an opinion, we all have an opinion, and I am sure in the early church the conversations were at times heated. We certainly see controversies between Paul and Peter. We've had people uh, on broadcasts that were near this broadcast that were talking about Paul not understanding the gospel and actually steering the people the wrong way. I've seen that controversy for half a century, almost, uh, well, probably almost a century now, where they're thinking that Paul got it wrong and was misleading the people. Now the whole group think Paul's all correct, but they misinterpret Paul because Paul preached Christ first. And Peter said that Paul would talk to you about things hard to understand. And that seems to be true even today. And probably more so today because there is so much mis- misinformation about what the biblical text actually says. And then what it actually means. Because words don't mean what we think they mean today. They mean what they meant at the time the apostles wrote them down. And so then they wrote them down and translators, and we know all the translators are not inspired by God because they come up with all kinds of different translations that are contrary to what God, you know, if this one is different than this one, and actually say something quite contrary to what this translation says, one of them is wrong. But there's a great possibility both of them are wrong. But there's a third factor. There's you reading those translations. You do not come empty-handed or with a blank slate in your mind. You come with preconceived notions that other people have given you since you were born. And some of them are correct and some of them are not. And some of them are distorted. And, well, probably almost all of them are distorted to one degree or another. But some are seriously distorted. But the greatest thing is many of the theologies that people imagine in their own mind, whether you want to call them theologies or ideologies or interpretations, Many of them are missing critical elements of the gospel of the kingdom. Because that's what we're supposed to be seeking is the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. So what Christ considered to be righteous is probably righteous. What we consider righteous needs to be held up to Christ. And Paul actually was holding that up a lot of times. Paul is sometimes hard to understand, not only talking about things that are hard to understand. Paul is hard to understand even if you understood the Greek. Because Paul 
was a lawyer. <laughs> and lawyers are hard to understand. I grew up with lawyers. <laughs> uh, my father was a lawyer, wrote law books. And so that legalese, what we call legalese, is almost like another language. Words don't mean the same in the law as it's presented today in the world. And the law today in the world, like in the United States, is Roman law. Roman law, Roman civil law, and civil law are the same systems of jurisprudence. Uh, my father spoke about the natural law, which is, is not dependent upon, natural law is not subject to the legislature. It's not subject to the opinions of the president. Uh, I was just uh, hearing about uh, Bobby Ann Cox, who is an attorney, and she was she's actually a real estate attorney, and she won a landmark victory against the governor of New York concerning quarantine camp regulations, and uh, she had an interview which will uh, be aired I think on eleven five. At 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, so I'm giving another plug for Epoch Times because it's American Thought Leaders with Jan Yi Kellick, if I get his name right. <laughs> he interviews her, and I'm sure it's a blockbuster video uh, interview. And uh, after being two, two years as uh, this attorney in New York, she takes him to court concerning statutes that they established over these, uh, you know, New York governor at that time was Kathy Hochul, uh, a quarantine camp regulations. Now, I, I have relatives that have been in government. Uh, my dad grew up with people who became the vice president of the United States. Uh, he uh, knew uh, on a personal basis uh, people like George Bush. He always considered him to be a, an extremely corrupt individual, George Bush Sr. I met Georgie Bush probably the first time when he was like eight years old. And uh, he was an obnoxious little brat then, but a lot of eight years old. That's what you have to give him. He almost had like red hair. So I don't know. It was really red, but I kind of remember it that way. That's a long time ago. Almost three quarters of, three quarters of a century ago. Anyway, getting close to that. But uh, he always considered him to be a very dishonest person and wouldn't have anything to do with him. But and I've been to barbecues that they and it was shocking the things that would go on at these places. And my dad just hated it. Quit the law three times. Ended up writing law books and eventually ended up in California and passed the bar exam. But what back when he originally passed the bar exam, he spoke in front of the bar association, being this like highest score ever on the Texas bar exam at that particular time anyway. And he spoke on the natural law and they told him, uh, and my dad told me this story the day I gave him the first proofs of the book Covenants of the Gods, which we sell free online. I mean, we... We give away free online. You can buy it. You can order it too. You can print it out uh, yourself. And we have articles that contain all the same information at org and preparingyou.com. And we will explain. You know, I've written, you know, five or six books now. But that particular book was written in a, a particular fashion uh, in hopes of awakening your mind. And uh, I won't go into all of why I wrote it in the particular fashion that I did. 
but I did write it in that fashion. And I didn't even really understand it at the time I was led to write. It just poured out of me. And like I said, when I originally wrote it, it was 700 pages, and I reduced it down so that you could lift it <laughs> and read it, and I could afford to print it out. Uh, but it has the basics in it, because the essential thing is that you wake up to the fact that there's a contractual nature to government. And there are, you know, specific contracts, and there are assumed contracts, and there are, you know, executed contracts, and... uh and you can call them fictions of law or not, but they've been around. And they can be, you know, we have articles that explain them since the beginning of man's history. You can go all the way back to Babylon and they existed. I mean, they have actually uncovered a lot of them in the last couple of decades uh, as they learned to read cuneiform writing. And and they've uncovered more and more. And there's a, there's so many tablets. They haven't even looked at all the tablets that they have. And they're beginning to find out that history does repeat itself and you're now back in Babylon again. <laughs> and you're back in the bondage of Egypt. And most of the people are unaware of how that all works. We talked a little bit about that this morning. We talked about it. We got thousands of hours out there. And, and rather than bore everybody with the same thing, back to Bobby Ann Cox, she sued them because of these quarantine camps because they took a law that they were trying to pass over and over again in New York. And they were unable to get it to be passed. So they took the wording right out of the law and put it into regulations as if it was the law. And and this is how they do it. This is one of the ways. They do it a lot of different ways, and we're not going to go into all the different ways they do it. And she took them to court and had it overturned that that was not constitutional law and so much for Kathy Hochul at that time. But it's it, heroes like Bobby Ann Cox who just something in them said, I'm not going to stand for this. This is outrageous. We've got to do something about it. It's, it's a very small fraction of people who take this stand. And, and when I see that stand being taken, I say, well, there are kingdom tracks. But they did not just sit back and say, I'm not going to do anything. And, of course, the ultimate thing that you have to do is not, you know, sue them in federal court. The ultimate thing you have to do is seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness because that's the only way you will build the social bonds that can stand against the armies of Pharaoh. You have to survive until the armies of Pharaoh will really come against you because that's what they're doing now. They're strangling businesses. They're strangling your life savings out of your hands. They're strangling uh, your children's minds. They're smothering your children's minds. They're, pro- uh, they're, they're corrupting your children. They're doing all this stuff. They've been doing it. For almost a 100 years in America. This is not new. I saw this back in 1957. I saw this. I can show you the beginning of this back in 1910, 1911. I can show you the whole history of it. And how it progressed steadily. And how it has done the same thing throughout history. It's mind boggling. And I don't want to boggle your mind. I want to wake you up. And that's why I wrote. I reduced covenants of God down to those those pages and and the story that my dad told me he told me a couple of stories that day he came out after reviewing the first part of the book and, and he said I was right and this is a guy who writes law books understands the law taught law uh, for, uh, was an attorney for years and I asked him why he didn't go into politics he says I'm dishonest enough to be an attorney but not dishonest enough to be a politician 
and and he almost said it with it about the angriest tone I ever heard from him, which most people might not even recognize because he's very very calm and, and collected individual. But he he said he got in the wrong line at college. That was his other stock answer to why he became a lawyer is he got in the wrong line at college. But he had to be something. He didn't want to be a doctor like his father, and so he and he was interested in law. But of course, that speech that he gave on natural law in front of the attorneys, which is where all your rights are at, they're in natural law. Everything else is privilege and uh, permission. They said it was a wonderful speech, but never speak about the natural law to attorneys again, because all these attorneys. And the bar, I mean, going, you know, what the bar stands for and all that stuff. It, that's a distraction. It, it, a lot of it's true, but it's a distraction. It's not going to solve anything. It, it, you can point your finger like, they're the problem. Th- those bad lawyers, they're the problem. Even back in the days of Jesus, woe unto you lawyers who put heavy burdens on the people. Well, they're still doing it. This is what they were trying to do in, in New York. It's make people subject to quarantine camps, not by passing the law, which they were unable to do, but by turning the law into a regulation and, and enforcing it as if, well, it's in the regulations. I mean, you wouldn't believe what's in the regulations now. And my own son saw this the very first day, not the very first day, one of the first days when he, he ended up running for public office. One of my sons ran for public office. Strange, bizarre thing that he even did that. But he was faced with seeing a law that was about to be passed. They had tried to pass it many times before. They have tried to pass it many times since. But he spoke up. And now he's not voting on the law. That's not the kind of position that he has. But he's voting on whether it appears in front of Congress or not. Because it goes through this committee of county commissioners. And uh, he spoke up and it failed. Barely failed. Next time it failed even more. Because he's been speaking up, which is what we're talking about today is free speech. How important it is to exercise your free speech. But if I exercised all the free speech I could exercise, I'd have been in Facebook jail a long time ago. What I'm trying to do is get you to form a network that's not dependent on Facebook, not dependent on Google or Google Groups, but is actually designed according to Jesus Christ which is the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And the bonds that hold you together are not contractual bonds. Some people are balking at, we have little forms you fill out, which are records. We actually explain what they are. They're, they're the breaches that they talk about in the Old Testament. Because I, I'm naked. I don't have any authority over anybody. And even if you fill out this form, it doesn't give me any authority. But it gives me permission to be your minister. You can withdraw that anytime you want. But I'm a minister. I'm, I, I, you're giving me authority to serve you in the process of serving God in pure religion. And, and, and you do it by picking a minister of your choice. You look at amongst yourself, find men you trust, and you start forming the government of the people for the people and by the people. This is what a true republic. All the early churches in America, I, I, we show you this in our writings that they were referred to at the time and by historians as embryonic republics. Because the churches, the minister was titular. I, I used that quote this morning from James Truslow Adams. I didn't mention Adams. March of Democracy, which is this five-volume set, page 45 of the very first volume, says that 
men living on their land in fee simple. In other words, actually owning their land, not legal title, actually owning their land, saying their say to sermons on Sunday or the Sabbath, <laughs> and uh, it had become a tough nut for any imperial power to crack. Well, it's been cracked. The nut has been cracked because you don't live on your land. You don't own your land anymore. You don't own your labor. 20, 30, 40% of your labor has to go to the government. That's the bondage of Egypt. And you don't even know what pure religion is. And you're certainly not practicing it because there is no way to practice pure religion unless you're networked together. If, if you're in a little home church and you're actually providing all the social welfare in your little home church for all the your little home church group, it's still not pure religion. Because pure religion requires that you care about other congregations as much as you care about your own. You get to decide how to do that. You know, you get to decide who you're going to give to, when you're going to give it, how much you're going to give it. But you're the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And today, in that Black's Dictionary, I talked about this morning, still sitting right over there. The church is defined as one form of government. That form of government is a pure republic. Where your ministers are servants of the people. They're titular in authority. They have no authority over you at all. They have authority over money. You choose to give them. In the Old Testament, they called that a burnt offering. But this was the system of God created by the people, not by contracts, covenants, and constitutions, but by daily consent. This is the way they operated. The reality is this is, this is what this idea of the kingdom of God really is. It's a way to network together. Uh, actually, it's much like the French underground did. The French underground organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And each cell group, each congregation of the French underground was an independent congregation. And they helped one another out, and there were times of shortage, sometimes they helped out with food, but they were actually a network that could actually work together for freeing France and and protecting the innocent. I mean, how many of them smuggled uh, downed uh, English and American airmen out of France? I, I, I don't know what the number is, but there's a large number of people that were smuggled out, as well as Jews were smuggled out by some of these networking groups as well as Catholics and other people that got into trouble for speaking out. But they were organized like the early church. And they were tending to what Jesus said was the weightier matters. Law, judgment, mercy, and faith. I mean, if we had a a viable network working diligently, I mean, a real network. We have a few people in New York area. Actually, some of them moved out of New York recently. But uh, if you had a thousand People actually doing what Christians were doing every day in early Rome and the early church. They could have helped Bobby Ann Cox get the donations that she might have needed to fight this quarantine camp regulation. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. The battle is not over. That was a little skirmish. 
but they were seizing power. And most, you have to admit that most of the people are just absolutely ignorant to law. They're absolutely ignorant to justice. They, they will go along to get along. And then many of them were subject to this mass formation of psychosis by the media. Oh, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And the first thing Jesus says is fear not. And we told you all what was coming way back when. We've, we've told you what was coming for a long time. And uh, the point is, is, you know, like I said, she saw it. They tried to pass this many times. Uh, I, could, I could take you back decade upon decade, how they've been slowly creeping in, changing the laws, changing the way. You, you don't have access to jury nullification anymore in the courts which was the prime defense of Americans against unjust laws before the American Revolution, after the ratification of the Constitution. it was, And it's mentioned in the Constitution of most states that the jury has the right to decide fact and law. They can overrule any of these laws that they make. And in this case, it was only a regulation because they can never even get the law passed. Right is on your side. What's not on your side is sloth. What is not on your side is you're a scattered flock. What is not under, on your side is you live in a sick society, according to Doc, Dr. Malone, because you need to reestablish the social bonds of society, which those social bonds of a free society are only established by faith, hope, and charity. Again, the same word for charity is the same word for love. You actually have to... Charity is just the action part of love. Love is, you know, I like you. I have a good feeling about you. (laughs) But real love includes action. You actually have to do something for the other person. And there's going to be lots and lots of opportunities to save other people. (laughs) Often at your own expense. And that's what the Israelites had to go through. They were in the bondage of Egypt. You're in the bondage of Egypt. Uh, but when Moses came and said, let my people go, because he owned the people, which we explained this, in this morning show and many other places, he, he ended up owning the contract <laughs> for your labor in Egypt. Who owns the contract for your labor today in America? Do you know the history of that? I mean, the, clearly the contract for your labor, where where you lost 20% of your right to labor, was with the Social Security Act. And we covered this sufficiently in Covenants of the Gods, which is that first book that I gave my dad, uh, for you to understand it. And we have articles up on Social Security, Corbin of the Pharisees, all that stuff is the same thing. It's all the same thing. But that's where you waived a right to a portion of your labor. And you went back into the bondage of Egypt thanks to the Pharaoh, who we call FDR. <laughs> FDR was the Pharaoh of our modern times. And he, he brought you back. Except that he didn't put ceiling limits. He's not limited to 20%. It could be a lot more of your labor than you care to give. And, and that you may be able to give without dying. But the reality is you're back in that bondage of Egypt and you can't just get out. And the Israelites couldn't just get out. But God arranged it so that Moses owned the contract for your labor. 
the the Pharaoh at the time of Moses, a lot of people will argue this, it's not important to faith, except for the fact it's, the, it's what I see based on limited historical references, that the the Pharaoh at that time would be known as Tutin Moses. But the Israelites called Moses, Moses, not because he was the Tutin Moses, should have been Tutin Moses III, but somebody else took the position put into place, long story. Uh, and that's who he was talking to. And uh, and we, we see words like Ramses, which are actually titles. They're not actually names, just like we... That's why we explain Caesar was not the name of Augustus or Tiberius Caesar or any of those things. As a matter of fact, uh, Augustus Caesar, his name wasn't Augustus, nor was it Caesar. Those are offices, and which is why you see... You know, Nero Caesar and Tiberius Caesar and all these other Caesars. You don't usually see Nero Caesar, but Nero, that's another whole story. But anyway, back to this idea of the contract. Who holds the contract for your labor? Well, all that's being arranged. You don't, you don't have to worry about that. What you have to worry about is caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. You have to care about your neighbor's rights. And that your neighbor's children, as much as you care about yourself. And if you really cared about them, you would gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to check on them. This idea of coming out of the bondage of Egypt, coming out of Babylon, you need to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. The Israelites needed to start doing that as well. And so God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh and did not let them go when they wanted to go. He said, no, you're going to have to go through the famines and uh, of that are going to come upon Egypt. And they did, but they were ready because they were already networking together. And they had some insight into what was going to happen. We have some insight into what is going to happen, just as we had some insight in what, was, what has already happened, which we've been telling about for years. Uh, I actually was re-editing programs I made in 2010. And we were telling you what was coming. <laughs> and I'm looking at what? Well, uh, when did I right, do this show? 2010? That's 12 years ago. I'm telling them what they're gonna, what's coming. Well, it's because if you study the past, you'll see the future because history repeats itself. So this is where you are. And so what you need to do is start coming together because plagues are coming. Well, let's not use the word plagues. Let's use the word dearths because that's what we find in the Bible. Dearths could be plagues, could be economic collapse, it could be in runaway inflation, all of which happened in the Roman Empire uh, during those first 200 years, 300 years of the Christian kingdom, which was what, you know, the there was an Israelite kingdom, became Judea, and, you know, Jerome, uh, many of these early church authors fully admitted, I, I don't I don't, I don't like to promote Jerome, but he did see that the Christian ministers took over the role of the Levites in the kingdom of God. He understood that. What, but when I say that today, you think, the Levites? We don't need those stinking Levites. <laughs> because those guys, you know, what were they doing? Animal sacrifice and all that stuff? No, they weren't. No, they weren't. They weren't piling up stone and burning up sheep. 
That's not what it says in the text. And we have whole books explaining it. Show, take you through word by word. You could just read a simple article like Sophistry, look that up at Preparing You and find out what they were really doing. It's always been, religion has always been a social welfare system for the redistribution of wealth. The difference between pure religion as taught by Christ and taught by Moses and taught by Abraham, the redistribution of wealth was based on charity, not forced offerings. John the Baptist said, no, not forced offerings. If you have two coats and your neighbor only has none, you can share one with them. You get to pick which neighbor you think is worthy of your extra coat. You get, but you need to have an educated choice. Like I said, you can't just hand $20 bills out your car window and say, well, I did charity today. No, you probably did a stupid thing. You probably didn't help anybody. Uh, you squandered 20 bucks. To imagine that you're charitable. No, you actually have to know how the charity is being used. Because if your charity is not strengthening the poor and the needy of your society, then your charity is that of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because that was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, is that in a time of affluence they did not strengthen the poor. The only way you can strengthen the poor is find out who has a real need and why do they have the need. And you have to address both those things at the time of your giving. And you need a network in order to determine how to do that. Because anybody, you know, I always remember there was a guy on the East Coast who was going up and down the East Coast and he was going to all these churches and he had all the head of video and and photographs of an orphanage he was building in Africa. And he needed all this money to help with the orphanage. And he was going around to all these churches and playing. And they were letting him in. And he was playing his video and showing the pictures. And they were donating. He had a, uh, you know, a 501c3 charity set up. He got over $8 million in donations he ran through his account into the bank for his orphanages in Africa. There were no orphanages in Africa. I mean, there are orphanages, but he was he just went into one and took pictures and he was collecting all this money. It never went to the orphanage. It went to him. And when he was finally found out, they couldn't find any of the money. And, and we're not even talking about the cash money he received because there was a decidedly small amount of cash money actually deposited in the account. He was socking that away somewhere. And, you know, he, he got a few years in jail and then he left and nobody knows where he is. He's spending that $8 million somewhere in Africa or on the Riviera or someplace. No, that's stupid. Stupid. That's not, that's not kingdom. That's the contrary to the kingdom. But that's where you guys are at. So, what does this all have to do with the freedom of speech? Because freedom of speech has to do with freedom of conversation. And and as I was quoting this morning, that, you know, even though it did not grant you any rights, the Bill of Rights is a Bill of Rights we already had, and it's prohibiting the government from infringing upon those rights. So there's a comedian does a deal like, second thing they wrote, second thing, they started a new country, second thing they wrote, you better get a gun. <laughs> 
That's what he says. And, but the first thing they wrote is you got freedom of speech. But if that don't work out, you better get a gun. <laughs> so, and the comedian, he does it, and, he, and the people all laugh, and it's, it's funny. I don't know if your guys are laughing, but I thought it was humorous when I heard it. That you, you see it here and there where people mouth the, the comedian, and, the, and it's funny. But the, the First Amendment isn't just about speech. It's about conversation. It's about Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. What's religion? It's a mental and spiritual conversation. It's a physical, mental, and spiritual conversation with other people in the world, but often not of the world. Very interesting way to put it. Because there are four different words in the Greek text that are all translated world. But they mean different things. When Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, he's using the same one I just used in, in reference to that we're not to be of the world. Because his kingdom was not of the world. But when he, the word he used meant the constitutional order and system of government of Pontius Pilate, of Rome, of the Pharisees. His kingdom was not of their constitutional order and system of government. But his kingdom was a constitutional order and system of government. Just like I said, the church today is still defined as a government. But the kind of government that Christ was establishing was a pure republic. That was a free association. The the congregations in the Old Testament of Israel were called free assemblies. And their offerings were called free will offerings. Because the Levites weren't kicking in doors and collecting taxes. They depended upon free will offerings for the operation of their government. And the government did not guarantee taking care of the poor, but that was their mission. Take care of the needy of society in a way that is based on love. Because that's the only way to build the social bonds of a free society. You do not build social bonds of a free society by saying to the sheriff, so-and-so doesn't want to pay for my kid's public education, so I want you to go down there and take his house away from him because he's not paying taxes. See, in a free society, you get together and you build a public school with free will offerings. That's the way they did it in America for a hundred years. They didn't tax to build the schools. Very little Tax money ever went to building schools in early America. It was built by free will offerings. That's the way to operate. But you don't know that history because they deleted it back in the 1900s. They just didn't tell you about it. That's what I was saying this morning, that the greatest lies are just the information they don't tell you. They just remove that. Don't think about that. Don't think about charity. Covetous practices are now okay in the modern church. I, I actually have, uh, let's see, do I have it here somewhere? I was going to pull it up. Oh, yeah, I do have it here. There, there was a priest who got into trouble and uh, in Ireland. Uh, imagine that. A priest in Ireland got into trouble. Just It was in the news this morning at the beginning of the program. And... Uh, and he, he talked about sin 
and that you needed to repent. Now, we have a lot of information on sin, and we unfortunately, because of modern churchianity or churchism, we think of sin as a list of things that you can do, and if any of the things you do fall into that list, then over here on the things done, the sins you've committed, it falls over here. And so you say, then you can go to a confession to a priest and say, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned six times I did this. And five times I did that. Because those all those things that you did fall under the category of sin. But sin is just doing anything that is contrary to the law of God, which is the law of nature, the will of God. Will of God, law of nature, natural law, are all defined as right reason, the will of God, all those things, same convertible phrases. Now, your interpretation of what natural law is and the will of God and all that stuff may vary. But the reality is, is that anything that goes against those natural parameters, which is what the Ten Commandments are giving you, is the natural, the Ten Commandments are describing the law of nature. That's what they're doing. You wouldn't know it based on most people's private interpretation. But once you understand the meaning of words and you go into the labyrinth of the biblical text with the Holy Spirit, and that's what we do, and and we can show you the things they didn't tell you. But those are the inconvenient truths. And you tell them to people that you know, think they already know, and they say, like, oh, I don't know about this. You know, make no covenants with their gods, which is why we wrote the book Covenants of the Gods, so you would know who the gods many are. Paul said there are gods many. He said there were them that say they are gods but are not. We show you that Caesar says that he was the son of God, and that all Romans... All Roman citizens, the male heir, the elder of the male family, had to go down to the temple and reaffirm that Caesar was the son of God. Every year, by buying a little incense and burning it, and professing that Caesar was the son of God. That was that was a custom. That was actually kind of a law. I mean, I'm sure there were guys who didn't do it, but if you wanted to get into public office, you needed to do that. On a regular basis, that was... Because faith and uh, allegiance are convertible phrases as well. So if you have true full faith and credit in Jesus Christ, <laughs> and you think he was, you call him the Son of God, because that's what was prophesied, that he would be called the Son of God. And, I mean, it was prophesied, you know, according to Matthew, that he would be called the Son of God. He was also called the Savior. He was called the highest Son of David. He was called the rightful King. He was called the Christ, the Anointed. He was called all these things. And he was King. There is another King, one Jesus. They did contrary to the decrees of Caesar because to see to them, Caesar was not the Son of God. Well, you're all saying, well, of course he's not the Son of God. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's, a, that's because you have an idea in your head what the word God means. And I, just this morning, I was listening to Anomaly, another guy I like to listen to, just because I've seen his progression as an individual. And he's kind of getting bogged down here, and I hope, I'd love to have an interview with him. And if you know him, tell him, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to have an interview with him. Love to have it. But I, I kind of let God lead 
us on those things. Anybody who wants to interview or come on the show, um, set it up. Let's get into the network, contact us, and we'll set it up. But anyway, he was talking about Jordan Peterson, who was saying when he's asked, do you believe in God? He says, well, the question is as important as the answer, because in the question, we're creating the dynamics of the question, and we need to answer that, because there's a lot of mysteries in the question. What does the word do mean? What does the word you mean? What is the word, and of course, those are insignificant to the, the other words, like what does believe mean? What does God mean? Well, now that, that those are important. And, and Anomaly was saying, well, we know what do means and we know what you means. Well, sort of. I mean, those are easier to define. Do has to do with present tense. Uh, it also suggests action. Tell you the truth, believe suggests action. Because belief at the time of the Greeks and the Romans, belief meant action. What you believe to be true and you acted upon. And of course, that's exactly what Jesus said. It's not, it's not, belief isn't what you say, it's what you do. Confession isn't just what you say out of your mouth, but it's what you do. If you're doing the opposite of what you say, you're just a hypocrite. You're not a believer. You're a hypocrite. <laughs> so, so it is important to know the definition of those words. And whenever you're talking to anybody, if you say, do you believe in God? If somebody asks me, do I believe in God? Absolutely, I believe in God. But I don't know if I believe in what you think that phrase means because I don't know what you think God means. I mean, and, and, and which of the many guides are you talking about? Do you believe in Trump? Because Trump's a god. He's not only a god. When he was a president, he could appoint other gods, like we said this morning. Go read our article on Apotheos, A-P-O-Theos. That means a pointer of gods. Read that article. We won't go into it here. We'll just repeat ourselves all the time. What I want you to understand, though, is this whole idea. I, I tell you what, I'll put the recording in the... Uh, I got it pulled up here, but I won't play it now because there's not enough time. But I'll put the I'll put the recording in the morning show, uh, and we'll release it on the network. So join the network if you want to get it. Eventually, we're going to create a a uh, a newsletter. I talked to one of the ministers on that. Figure out some way of creating a newsletter independent of Google Groups for you people who don't want to join because it's a Google group. The Google Group is not the Living Network. The Google Groups is how you get to the Living Network. Now, if you you could be on the Google Groups for ten minutes, find out who it is that wants to give you their phone number, who is in the Living Network, and then call them up, and then you can sign off of the Google Groups if you're that paranoid. But if you won't risk your life for others, uh you know, not that being on the Google Groups is risking your life. There's nothing secret. You know, if you're on the Internet at all, if you have a cell phone at all, there's nothing secret. But what will make you invisible to evil is that you fill your heart and your mind with good, with righteousness. Because evil can't look at righteousness. Evil's got to get you to commit a crime in order to bring you into their power. 
and according to the Ten Commandments, the Ten Statements explaining the natural law, to covet your neighbor's goods is a crime against nature. It is a sin. That's what a sin is. It's a crime against the nature of creation. To covet your neighbor's goods is a sin. It is a crime against the natural law and the God that made the natural law. And it puts you down a road. It separates you out. Trying to decide what is good and evil with your brain is eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life will tell you what is good and evil. But the tree of life determines what is good and evil and it speaks to you through this still small voice, through this through this revelation. I, I refer to it as revelation because that's the word they use in the, in the Bible. Uh, the guy who uh, uh, presented Mass, uh, Matthias Desmond, you can look that up at Preparing You. Uh, he's the one who promoted the mass formation of psychosis, which we'll talk more about again. But uh, he refers to it as resonating. That and, and scientists, he's a scientist, and all the scientists, many of the scientists, he talks about lots and lots of them. He's got a book on tyranny you can read. That they realize that you can't know the true nature of nature simply with the intellect. You need this resonating part of your mind that gives you insight beyond the rational world. It's still rational, but you can't get there from reason. You have to get there from resonance. He calls it resonance. I call it revelation. You can call it lots of different things. Inspiration. Intuition. Divine intuition. Just like I said, the law of nature. Right reason. The will of God. Uh, all those are convertible phrases. They're all talking about the same thing. Just using... See, some people don't want to use religious terms. They don't want to use the word God. They don't want to use the word church. I understand that. But I also understand the reason you have an aversion to using those words is you are already defeated by the enemy. Because you still resent the world that lied to you. And until you forgive them... You won't be able to use those words comfortably. And if you can't use those words comf- comfortably, you cannot get back your freedom. Because you're actually creating bondage in your own heart by your resentment of that terminology. Because it isn't the terminology you resent, it's the ones who misused it before you. You have to forgive them to be set free. That's how you get the oil of Christ which is Christ means anointing. That's how you get the oil of anointing, is forgive. This is why Christ said, fear not. Forgive so that you can be forgiven. Because none of us are without sin. Everybody is screwed up. Somewhere in their life they've screwed up. So this is another reason why you gather together. Because in gathering together, you're going to have lots of people to forgive. Not only the people of the past who misused you, but the people who come to the network who aren't quite walking on water yet themselves. And you have to forgive them. And you say, oh, like he's got these screwy ideas and he's also angry about this and he's still complaining about that and he's still worried about this and he only wants me to use these words or if I don't say the magic phrases, I'm out and I'll be shunned. And, you know, people always, 
you know, they, they come together to be free. And the first thing they start doing is imposing vocabulary on everybody else. That's why I don't write about, is it the Sabbath day? Is it Sunday? Is it Saturday? Or do we use this other calendar over here and all this stuff? You use the Holy Spirit. And even though I know in my own heart of hearts what the answer is and what it really means, what Sabbath keeping really means, I have an article up on you, go read it. Even though I know what it means and how it inculcates itself into the natural law. And, you know, it's very simple. If, if you're in debt, if you're a surety for the debt of the United States or Australia or New Zealand or any of those places, if you're a surety for debt, and you know you are if you have an ID, and you can throw the ID away, but it doesn't throw away the surety ship, there's a way to get rid of it. But you have to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But if you're a surety for any of those debts, China or anybody else, you haven't been keeping the Sabbath. <laughs> so that's just it. You're, you're not a Sabbath keeper. Sabbath keepers are not in debt. No, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying don't delude yourself into jumping through magic hoops and pretending that you're saved. Because you can't do it that way. You cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Figuratively speaking and literally speaking. So stop imposing your ideas on everybody else. Learn to walk together alone. Walk together in your own belief and faith. Start forgiving those people who have abused you and misused these words for centuries and centuries. Or at least decades and decades. Because until you forgive, you're not going to be forgiven and you're not going to be free. And then now, test that forgiveness. You know, you're not just supposed to love those who love you. You're supposed to love your enemy. See, if you love your enemy and he's still misusing that word, you'll be like Glenda, (laughs) the good witch of the north. You have no power here. They have no power over you. If they're making you angry, if they're making you impatient, if they're keeping you from coming together, they have power over you. They're in control and you are not. So, repent and start seeking the kingdom of God. So, I have a page uh, called censored, and it will probably also become the same as the the page conversation. And what it what it is uh, is uh, walk through the right that you have the power of speech, and we just talked about it for two hours this morning. And then we got into the Hebrew conversation terms, uh, and we looked at Psalms uh, thirty seven and fourteen. And since then, I've added extra words. I I thought that the word conversation there would have had extra letters added to it. But I, I checked it since this morning's program, and I realized it doesn't have extra letters added to it. But Hebrew, every sentence is a collective. It's a collective of words that are symbols of ideas. And there are lots of other words in those two verses that they did add, add extra letters to. Letters like mem which has to do with flow. And letters like Yod, which has to do with the divine spark. In words that already have an elephant in it, they added an elf right at the beginning. Uh, or was it at the end? I'd have to go look at it. I've got it there on the page. You can check it out. But uh, words like wicked, 
had letters added to it. Uh, the word like sword, like the word wicked, uh, they added a chet and a mem. Uh, oh, they turned a hay to a chet and added a mem. That's what they did. And uh, then the word sword, uh, they added a mem and a yod. I thought it was interesting the number of mems that they added in there because they added a mem also to uh, uh, another word, kesheth, which has to do with a bow. And I was thinking, like, when I first read it, I said, so what does a bow and a sword have to do with this conversation? Well, the bow was a symbol of things. And, and we've talked about this, and I won't go into all the symbols of it. I just don't have the time, but maybe I'll get time to go put that into our notes, and we'll talk about it at another time. But we have talked about in the altars of clay and stone that the Levites were given the kidneys. Except for the fact they weren't given the kidneys. Because the same word for kidney means reins. Same exact words. Same as the same exact word for a pile of stones means a council of men. And so you get a council of men by looking out amongst yourself and finding men you trust. And you put them in charge of the charity for your community. And you start with your congregation of ten. And... So you give something to that minister and all the other congregations do the same and those men get together and try to find out who is in need. Now we can show you how to do this in spades where you still have control of the redistribution of wealth that you put in. Not what other people put in. But you have guys actually and you spread this out so people don't need big salaries because it's not a full-time job. To help take care of the needy of your society. And you will need that in place. Because what you have now in place are men who exercise authority. And they're not going to take care of you in the days ahead. As a matter of fact, they are the instrument of your want. They are the cause of your dearth. This is the plan. We saw it with COVID. We actually saw it with public education years before. Uh, we see it in the laws that they've been trying to pass all the way back to 1910, 1957. We can go through all those laws. I, I, you know, sometimes I just rattle off these laws and, and these house joint resolutions and give you the numbers when they were appealed and repealed and, and all that stuff. But it just boggles your imagination. It's very simple, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's about loving your neighbor as yourself. And there's a cosmic event that takes place when you start forgiving and then testing that forgiveness by giving and casting your bread upon the waters and not being afraid and caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. There's a cosmic event that aligns the stars. <laughs> aligns, you know, I don't want to get astrological here, but it aligns creation. I mean, you have DNA in you. We refer to the double helix. But it's the epigenetics that really does most of the work and the changes and everything. Because the double helix has all these different codes in it. We find out, okay, this has to do with the fact that your eyes are blue or your eyes are brown. But the fact is it doesn't just do that. It does other things. It's multiple... It also is going to affect the way in which your kidneys are designed or whatever. I don't know which ones are which. But that's the same with language. The, the same word for 
uh, not liver, but kidney. The same word for kidney is the same word for reins of control. So the Levite was given reins of control of the offering you gave. It was burnt up to you. It wasn't burnt up. But it was given over to him. And he could use it to establish the social welfare of society. To take care of the needy, the indigent, the infirm, whatever. You know, the widows and orphans was a common source because their husband died or whatever. Usually didn't run off. They had the strongest families. And, and we call them Israelites and all this kind of stuff. But the Teutons were doing the same thing. And they, when they were still a free society, they stopped doing it now. All the Teutons now, they, they're built like Rome. If you go, if you went to look at German law today, you'll see all, all kinds of German. You're going to see Latin in German law because <laughs> they've set up the same system. Uh, you don't see it so much in Louisiana and the United States because they actually have a different system. But it's there. The traces of it is still there. But in all the other states, you find it all over the place. But the, the, all this, like I say, it can get mind-boggling. But what they've done is they've added a lot to the other words. The word that we see for conversation is still Derek. But what we need to really understand is is when we get to the Greek. I, I will add more to this as I go over it because we're not going to have time to go through all of this. But there's a number of different words seconds. that we see in the Greek. And I'll have to save this for another program because we are out of time. But there's a number of uh, words that we see in Greek that conversation has to do with how you interact with one another. Put it simple. And, and freedom of speech is part of that. And if you're trying to designate that people have to use your words, you don't believe in freedom of speech. If you're saying you can't use that word, you don't believe in freedom of speech. If you're trying to regulate other people in your seconds. congregation, you don't really believe in the freedom of speech. And you need to repent of that and go back the other way. So until then, I'm going to have to say peace on your house and may God be with you. Until then, God bless. Join us on the network. Stop wasting time and making excuses. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.